This is God's word. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. And to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is God's word. Lord, would the words of my mouth and would the meditation of all of our hearts here together be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts so that we not just gain content, but that we would actually see you, Jesus. And worship you and come to delight in you more and more. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I'm watching a documentary with my family called This Is Football. It's on Amazon Prime. I recommend it to you all. Though I'll warn you, it's not about American football. It's about world. See, it's not about football that uses hands, it's about football that uses feet. Football And it's about world football. And it's amazing. And the final episode is about Lionel Messi. Now, I bleed Liverpool red. But after watching this episode, I kind of became a Messi fan. Not a Barcelona fan, but a Lionel Messi fan. Because this episode asks coaches, players, and analysts one question. What makes Messi special? And they all admit, you know, there are plenty of talented players out there with the same technical skill as Lionel Messi. But there is something special about Messi. And what is it? That's the question. They spend the whole hour answering this question. And what it boils down to, what makes Messi special is his efficiency. Isn't that a strange word for him? Studies show, though, that he runs the least of any player in the professional leagues. <laughs> but you ask these coaches who've coached him, they all say he's, he's not lazy at all. He's not, he's not walking around because he's lazy. He's walking around because he's watching. Everything he does is on purpose. And so they talk about his head. It swivels back and forth. If you ever watch a highlight clip of him, most of the time he's walking or standing and he's swiveling. He's watching. He's got a purpose. He's got one goal, score goals. And he's not going to waste any energy doing anything different than that one goal. And so when he has to explode, he explodes, but he never runs aimlessly. Never. And this documentary, as I watched it, it taught me that efficiency and purpose go hand in hand. If you have no purpose in life, you're likely going to be wasting energy on things that you shouldn't be wasting energy on. 
So I started asking myself, am I flailing around in life? Am I exhausted for all the wrong reasons? Do I even have a focused goal or purpose in my life? See, Paul invites us to consider these kinds of questions in the passage we just heard read. And especially in verse 26. Cast your eyes on the text. Take a look at this. He compares a life without purpose to a confused athlete. So I do not run aimlessly, he says. I do not box as one beating the air. That's a confused athlete. A runner who is aimless, exerting all kinds of energy but to no purpose. A boxer who is just landing punches on the air. Shadow boxing. A waste of energy, according to Paul. Because they are literally pointless. Messi doesn't run aimlessly. He has one goal. And God is inviting every follower of Jesus into a life with one goal. In other words, Paul is inviting us to take part in God's mission. We find purpose. We find that one goal in our life, not by sort of finding our unique mission, but by finding ourselves in God's greater mission. Isn't that a relief? All those books that are devoted to finding your unique mission in life. And here God comes along and says, guys, just chill out. I've got a mission. Just join in. And what is God's mission? Well, God's mission is to extend the good news of Jesus, what Paul calls the gospel, to the whole world. God's mission is a rescue mission. God rescues us. So that we would take part in his rescue mission. To be saved, by definition in the scripture, is to be called to mission. All of God's people are missionaries of God's greater mission of rescue. So what does it look like to live on this mission, God's mission? Well, this passage is like watching Messi play football. Soccer. It is like a documentary of Paul on the field, how he lived on mission. And in this passage we just heard, we see two major themes. A life on mission is incarnational, and a life on mission is intentional. Incarnational and intentional. And over the next two weeks, we're going to look at each of these aspects. This morning, we're going to be looking at incarnational living. And next week, we'll look at what it means to be an intentional follower of Jesus. Life on mission is incarnation. What is incarnation? Incarnation is how God came to us. Carne, like Carnivore, uh, carnivore means meat or flesh, carne. Incarnation means taking on or becoming flesh. And that's how God came to us. We celebrate this every year at Christmas. Incarnation. God became like us. 
He entered into our story. He was tempted like us, but without sin. He, he experienced pain like us. He suffered and he experienced loss like us. He experienced and expressed every human emotion like us. That is how God came to us on mission. And when you are in God's mission, when you're invited to take part in his mission, you do mission like God does mission. You follow his principles and his practices. We become incarnational in a way ourselves. As Paul says in verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Paul is ripping off Jesus. And Jesus is like, amen, do it. I don't have copyright on this. Like Jesus, Paul enters his neighbor's world with the news of Jesus. He enters into their world. So verse 20, if you take your eyes again to the text, you'll see that Paul enters into his Jewish neighbor's world. In verse 21, we see that Paul enters into his non-Jewish neighbor's world. When he says those not under the law, that's who he's referring to. Everybody who's not Jewish. Everybody who doesn't have the law of God is revealed to the people of God, Israel. And then in verse 22, Paul says he enters into his weak or vulnerable neighbor's world. This is the way of Jesus. Isn't it? As we heard just a few minutes ago, Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus did not leverage his divine privileges for himself, but he set them aside in order to live among us and in order to rescue us. Think of it. Jesus, his earthly mission began surrounded by sinners in the River Jordan. Do you remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist objected to the idea. He said, what am I doing baptizing you? You should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, baptize me. Here's why. Not because I'm a sinner in need of it. Jesus was without sin. He was God in flesh. But Jesus found it very important to be baptized because he was identifying with sinners. Taking on their sin in his life. And so he began his earthly ministry among sinners in the waters of Jordan. And how did he end his earthly ministry? On Calvary beside sinners. Jesus began and ended his earthly ministry entering into the world of sinners. He was a friend of sinners, the scriptures say. This is how you were saved, isn't it? Jesus walked into your life. He didn't wait for you to clean up your act. He didn't wait for you to sort of walk to him. He walked to you. He wasn't embarrassed or scandalized by your sinful ways. He entered your world and rescued you. is simply taking his cues from Jesus. He's not scandalized by different cultures. He's willing to do every possible thing that he can do to build a bridge to the lives of his neighbors. We have some neighborhood friends who speak English, but they speak English with an accent because English is their second language. 
And that's how I view the church's mission. The church speaks the language of society. We communicate. We share the world together. But we never lose our accent. Our accent gives away that we have a citizenship in the kingdom of God. Paul models this in this passage. He learns and speaks the language of his neighbor, but he keeps his gospel accent. In other words, he avoids the two dangers that can happen when we live in society. The first, it's like walking on a slack line. Has anybody tried to do that? A slack line? It's really hard. It's like really hard. It's basically walking on a really wide piece of nylon. Like rope. Well, doing mission is like walking on a slack line. And there's two dangers. One danger over here and one danger over here. And you can fall down on either side. The first danger is losing your gospel accent altogether. It's the danger of over-identifying with society or accommodating. This is when you lose your accent so nobody can tell that you're a citizen of God's kingdom at all. In this passage, Paul is careful to remind the church that he never, ever in his mission to become all things to all people disobeys King Jesus. He's not setting aside the claims of Jesus in order to be on mission at all. He always preaches the gospel. He's always communicating the gospel, even as he's tearing away whatever barriers might be in the way of that. So we see these caveats in the text itself. There's stuff that's in the parentheses. He says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So here Paul is saying that he can engage and do the things that God, God's law says to do, like the food and the, the food laws and the ceremonial laws, and he can take part in synagogue worship, even though he knows that Jesus fulfilled those things. And that's why he says, I'm not myself under the law in the sense that I'm trying to do these lawful things in order to gain God's acceptance. No, he understands that Jesus himself obeyed the law for him. And so he stands righteous with God by faith in Jesus. Yet he can still engage in synagogue worship so as to preach the gospel to those who are under the law. He says another caveat later. He says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. And then he makes the caveat. He says, now listen, when I say that, I'm not saying that I'm sinning. Like I'm becoming a thief in order to share the gospel with thieves. He's like, no, I'm still obeying the law of Christ. So let me just ask you, is this your danger over here? over-identifying with the society you live in? Are you losing your accent? It's really tempting to do this because we are all afraid of death, number one, but we're afraid as a corollary of social death. Social death is when the people around you essentially cast you off. And we're afraid of that. We don't want that. And so it's a deep temptation to simply try to lose our accent altogether. And we're therefore over-identifying with society. But there's an equal and opposite error that exists over here. And that is just learning a brand new language that no one else will understand at all. 
This is, if this is accommodation, this is isolation. Paul is a bridge builder. He sees that the gospel is transcultural. Unlike other religions where culture and religion are sort of married, Paul sees that the news of Jesus can take root in many different cultures and keep its integrity. So he does whatever he possibly can do to identify with people in order to share the gospel with them. Paul has no interest in building fortresses or communes, online or actual. He wants to live in his neighbor's world and do mission with them. One pastor asks this question. To what lengths are we prepared to go to further the gospel? Do we try to stand in the skin of every possible kind of person to win them for Christ? These are the two dangers. Dick Kies, he compares these two dangers, and you've heard me talk about this before, but it's a good reminder. He compares these two dangers to that of the chameleon and the musk ox. The chameleon blends into society by changing its colors. The musk ox, what it does, if you didn't know, is it sort of huddles up with its haunches out and kicks away any intruder. It steps away from society. The chameleon compromises with society. The muskox isolates themselves from society. And Kais argues that both are worldly and both are fear-based. So we can ask ourselves, which side are we most likely when we lose our balance to fall on? The isolation side? I mean, we can ask ourselves this. Personally, am I building bridges at all? Or the compromise side. Have you lost your accent entirely? Would your coworkers or friends be surprised to learn you are a Jesus follower? These are the dangers. And Paul shows us that a life on mission is a life that enters into the people's worlds while keeping our gospel identity and convictions. The alternative to these two errors is becoming all things to all people while keeping your allegiance to Jesus. Jesus summarizes this incarnational mission with two images from his Gospels, salt and light. Salt and light. Two things that do not make sense unless they are interacting with a dark and decaying world. Light to dark. Salt, which is a fertilizer and a preservative to decay. So our temptation, if we're standing over here, is to see darkness and decay and to simply create an alternate community that has no interaction whatsoever with the darkness and decay. 
There are others of us who are tempted to be in this and to simply lose all saltiness and all light bearing. The challenge is to be salt and light in the world. We don't do life on the outskirts and expect folks to come to us. We do life in the midst of folks. We're concerned about the same things. We read the same things. We eat in the same restaurants. We shop in the same shops. But we are salt and light, so we do the same things differently. At the She Has Name Gala on Thursday night, when you walked in, you were greeted by a welcome team who would help you check in. And they had their computers open, and, and one woman had her computer open, and right there on her computer was a sticker that said, Salty and Lit. <laughs> salty and Lit. And I thought to myself, isn't that exactly what this gala is? It's salty and lit. Isn't that exactly what Jesus is calling us to be? We are invited to become who we are declared to be in Jesus. Jesus declares us to be salt and light. And that's our unique mission. So Lord, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would make us into a community that walks on the slack line. That doesn't simply fall because it's convenient to one side or to the other. But walks on the slack line and asks the hard questions to Jesus. Help us answer them. What does it look like to live in and among my neighbors with the gospel intact? We are followers of you, Jesus, and we want to do mission like you, Jesus. And when we see you doing mission, we are challenged. But Lord, you are creating us into your image by your spirit. And we ask that you would do the same in this community today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.